We like to watch HGTV, all the remodeling shows and house hunters and all of that, and we're just amazed at the cost of homes. And these young families that are buying homes or looking for homes that are sometimes a million dollars or more, uh, having to, to put in sometimes $200,000 into a remodel of their house, and you wonder, where where's this money coming from? Now, our home here in Oklahoma was under $200,000. And it would sell for double or triple or more in some other places. Where we lived in western New York, it would probably sell for closer to $100,000. But then I look at what it costs to rent a home or an apartment, and it's more than what your mortgage payment would be if you're able to get one. So here in Oklahoma, houses are being built all over the place. I mean, you can't drive down the street without seeing a, a development of some kind that's going up. And I don't know where all these people are coming from. The schools are crowded. They're getting added on to. New ones are being built. I know that there's some states that are losing people. Uh, a lot of the big cities are losing people, and other states are gaining those people. Now, our life group, four of the first five couples that were in, uh, ourselves and another couple are both from western New York originally. There was a couple from uh, Kansas and another couple from California. Well, people just don't seem to stay in one place anymore, especially our family. Uh, every year when I, I write our Christmas letter at the end of the year, uh, you know, one of the first things I talk about is, well, who moved this year? Uh, and I don't think there's been a year in quite some time when there hasn't been at least one of us moving somewhere. But isn't it great that God's the same no matter where you go? Wherever you go, you can find a place to worship him. <clears throat> it doesn't matter if, you know, you're interested in a more contemporary service or more traditional. Uh, there's ethnic churches. Uh, there's some churches that, for whatever reason, are more black. Uh, there's a big Korean Baptist church here. And I'm sure others I know, you know, especially where we were in Florida, there was a lot of uh, Spanish churches. But we're all God's children, and we're all brothers and sisters in the Lord. So it really doesn't make that much difference. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks that you created us all different in so many ways, but yet you put the same uh, desire to find you and to love you and to know you uh, in each one of us, no matter the color of our skin or the language that we speak or anything else, that that desire is there, that we would seek you out. So, Father... Uh, I praise you that I've found you uh, 42 years ago. Uh, but Lord, I just uh, pray that others will come to know you as well that, that don't today. Uh, so Father, as we look at this message, Lord, I just want to uh, get people to know a little bit more about you, maybe a little more in depth than, than where they have been. So as we look at your message, your word, Father, we just ask your Holy Spirit would open our ears, 
our eyes and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to take a look at the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, deity is not a word that we use or hear a lot. So I went to the dictionary, and it says, one exalted or revered as supremely good or powerful. And some synonyms of that is divineness, godliness, godhead, holiness, sanctity, sacredness, and blessedness. Well, through the Gospels, we read of Jesus healing the sick, raising the dead, giving sight to the blind, casting out demons, and uh, giving um, strength to the crippled, and feeding thousands and thousands of people. Uh, each one being a tremendous miracle. And there's another miracle performed by Jesus in John and Mark's Gospels, but it was different in Matthew's. So let me kind of give you Matthew's take on this miracle. Uh, this was right after Jesus had fed the 5,000. And so uh, this is what it tells us in Matthew 14, beginning in verse 22. It says, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Where he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you... Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Well, I can't leave you hanging there if you're not familiar with it. So verses 30 and 31 tell us this. But when he, Peter, saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Well, this may not be the greatest of Jesus' miracles, but it had a huge effect on the disciples. Okay? Because in Matthew 14.32, it says, When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Well, earlier in Matthew 8, Jesus had been with the disciples in the boat during a storm. And Jesus calmed the storm. In Matthew 8, 27, it says the response, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. The fact that Jesus walked on the water carries with it a powerful message about the deity of Jesus Christ. In Exodus 3, we read about Moses and the burning bush, the one that didn't burn up even though it appeared to be on fire. Well, then Moses and God got into a conversation about Moses going to Pharaoh to ask for the release of the Israelites who were being held as slaves in Egypt. And Moses came up with all kinds of excuses. Okay, he said, 
oh, you know, Pharaoh, he's, he's not going to believe me. And, and he says, you know, I, I don't speak very well. And, you know, the people, they're not going to listen to me. Well, then finally Moses was considering it. And so in Exodus 3.13, it says this, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What's his name? Then what shall I tell them? Moses was still hoping for a way out of this. But God answers him in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So how does this relate to Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked, because we're going to look at what John tells us about that. In John 6, Jesus had fed the 5,000, and then he walked on the water to the disciples in the boat. And next he was being questioned by some followers. Jesus' response in verse 26 says, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Well, people talked about, well, you know, Moses gave us bread from heaven. And so, you know, that's not such a big deal, you know, about the the bread that we got from you. And Jesus answered them in verses 35 and 36. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. You know, the Jews just didn't get it. You know, I, I can only imagine if I was it a banquet of some kind, a wedding reception, uh, whatever it might be, and, you know, there was no food there, and somebody got up and, you know, just started handing out food, you know, plate after plate of food to everybody. I'd be pretty impressed, and I'd wonder, you know, who is this? Well, what's the most important part of that verse, verse 35? It says, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. That's the same I am statement that God said to Moses. You tell them, I am sent me. Well, Jesus repeated it again in chapter 6, verse 48, because he said, I am the bread of life. And he repeats it eight more times in John's gospel. So we're going to take a look at those. Okay, in the beginning of chapter 8, uh, there was a woman that was caught in adultery. <clears throat> Excuse me. And in verse 10, after Jesus had written on the ground and then said, you know, he who's without sin cast the first stone, and everybody one at a time, starting with the older men, dropped their stones and left because there was none there without sin except Jesus. So in verse 10, Jesus asks, well, who condemns you? In verse 11, she says, No one, sir. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now 
and leave your life of sin. What's important about verse 12? Jesus spoke again to the people and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Well, later in John 8, Jesus is in a discussion with Jews about who he is. They accuse him of being a demon-possessed Samaritan. Well, starting in verse 53, this is what we hear. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you've seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus giving us that God statement again. Moving on to John chapter 9. Jesus and the disciples were walking along and they encountered a blind man. And in verse 5, Jesus made this declaration. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he healed the man by making some mud with his saliva on the ground. And he put it on the man's eyes. And he told him to go and wash. And he would have his sight. And he did. Well, in John 10, we find the story of the good shepherd and his sheep. Jesus tells the Pharisees, those trying to tend to the sheep before him, were thieves and robbers and didn't enter through the gate. But they still weren't getting it. Okay, in verses 7 through 9 of John 10, it says, Therefore Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find their pasture. Okay. Then in verse 11, he adds, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then it continues in verses 14 and 15. Again, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as a father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Okay, there's three times there in that or four times in that passage where Jesus gives us that I am statement. Okay, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd to let them know who he was, and that he was the one that was there, sent by God, the Father, to protect those who believed. <clears throat> well, and moving into to John chapter 11, okay, Jesus has been called 
to Bethany by Martha and Mary because her brother Lazarus is very sick. And it was their hope that Jesus was going to, you know, drop everything and head there just as fast as he could go. But Jesus waits for two days before going to Bethany. And when Jesus and the disciples get there, Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. So he may have already been dead by the time Jesus had heard that Lazarus was sick. <clears throat> well, Martha and Mary, they're not too happy with Jesus. Again, in verse 21, Martha says, If you had been here, my brother would not have died, which would be true if Jesus had chosen to heal him. Well, then listen to verses 23 to 27. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again at the resurrection the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who came into the world. So Jesus then, as we know, went and called Lazarus out of the tomb, and Lazarus was alive. Okay, just a couple more. I am's coming up. And this is from John 14, probably the, the best known of any of them, where Jesus is talking with the disciples, and he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Here it comes. Thomas said to him, Lord, uh, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus tells us three things in that statement. Okay, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he tells us why he is those things. Because he says, no one, okay, no one can get to the Father except by believing that he is the Savior. Not some can get to, to the Savior or can get to God by believing that I'm the Savior. And others can, they can get there another way. And he doesn't say, you can believe in God and get to him, and you don't have to believe in me. That's okay. And Jesus doesn't say, you know, there's lots of ways to heaven. You know, all these cults that tell you, you know, you need to do this and you need to do that. You know, that that's just fine. No. Jesus said, no one gets to the Father except by believing that 
he is the Savior. The one and only way to God the Father and to heaven is through believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins, and that he rose from the dead. And like verse 3 said, If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be where I am. He is coming back to take those who believe that, that they'll spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. Jesus' last I am statement is another well-known passage. It comes in John 15, and this beginning in the first verse. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You already are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire to be burned. Okay, that statement from Jesus in verse 5, Apart from me, you can do nothing. We will accomplish nothing for the kingdom. We may be serving on committees in the church, you know, on the trustees or the board of elders or whatever it may be. You know, we may be singing with a choir or be on the worship team. We may even be a pastor. But if Christ is not in it, you will do nothing, okay, because you're not connected to the vine. And like Jesus says, you know, I am the true vine. I am the vine. You need to be connected to me. And if you're not familiar with grapes, that vine that he's talking about is the, the big part that comes up from the ground. And the branches come off of that that bear the fruit. Or like Jesus said, if you're not connected to me, you're going to do nothing. So in verse 6, Jesus speaks of the branches being thrown into the fire, the fires of hell. Without a personal relationship with Jesus, that is our destination. So Jesus tells us this, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the vine. These are all things that we need in our lives or we need to know. But more than that, those are things that we need to let others know because we're not just keepers of the good news. We need to be carriers of the good news. We need to be those that are taking the good news to the people that maybe have never heard it or maybe they've heard it and they don't believe it. But with the example of your life, you will show them who it is that Jesus is. Because if you're following Jesus the way he expects us to, when somebody looks at you, they'll see Jesus. 
Let me share the words from an old hymn. A blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. I'm born of his spirit and washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy and whispers of love. And then the third and last verse, perfect submission, all is at rest. I, in my Savior, am happy and blessed. You know I'm watching and waiting. I'm looking above, filled with his goodness and I'm lost in his love. This is my story, and this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks that we can praise you all the day long. We can praise you in the the great things that we see happening in our lives or in the lives of others and just giving you thanks for that. Lord, we can praise you when everything is going great, and we can praise you when our lives are a mess, and we're not sure just what we're doing or what's happening. Lord, we can praise you at all times because there's always something to praise you for. And I know that my brothers and sisters know that, and they believe that. And Father, that they, uh, they're doing their best to uh, praise you in, in all times. And sometimes it's hard. But, Lord, you still tell us to praise you. And the closer we get to you, the easier it is to praise you. Because the closer we are to you, the more that we can see of you and the work that you do. But, Lord, I pray, too, for someone that may be listening to this message that that doesn't know you. Maybe they've never even gone to a church service or been to a, a revival or been to a Christian concert of some kind, and they've never really heard this message before. But, Father, there may be some that maybe they've gone to church for a long time, and maybe the church that they're going to, you know, the the message of salvation isn't preached or an invitation isn't given, and so that's something new to them. Or maybe they've heard the way of salvation time and time again, but it's never... Uh, put a burden on them. Lord, I pray that if there's someone today that needs a relationship with you, that, Lord, they will uh, reach out and give their life to you. So, Father, let them know that this is the prayer that they need to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I need a Savior. I know Jesus is the I am that I need in my life the Savior, the Messiah, your Son, that died for my sins because I couldn't pay the price. Only Jesus could pay. Thank you for sending him. Thank you for his willingness to die. And thank you that he rose from the dead and he's coming again for those that believe. Lord, let me pray this and know that I'm one that he's coming for. In Jesus' name, amen.